Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. There are very few words in the English language that we know by just the first letter. Most of these words are profane. Their usage is meant to shock. But for all the ways in which we might think saying the F word will soften the blow of a coarse word for intercourse, saying the N word has a very different impact. The blow is not softened. This word is itself a profanity, a term of disparagement, but it's also been appropriated by popular culture and widely used in song lyrics. In South Windsor, Connecticut, a parent is upset that her children had to hear the word repeatedly in a book of accounts from North Carolina slaves. Just a block from us, the Mark Twain house grapples with how the great writer used this word on a daily basis. When journalism professor Frank Harris III took on this issue, he talked to people in the U.S. and Canada about their experiences. At this point, I would have to say the word really doesn't faze me anymore. I'm so used to hearing it from black people. I've actually heard it a few times from white folks. You know, you get that from the Confederate flag waving folks sometimes, you know. I have experienced that. It's not fun (laughs) at all. Uh, But as a word itself, it really doesn't faze me. It does face me for when it's not a person of color, and it doesn't actually mean a black person. It could be any other um, person of color who's um, a minority, but any Caucasian person, it bothers me. So it does. Those are some voices from the documentary Journey to the Bottom of the N-Word produced by Professor Frank Harris III. Today we'll be talking with Harris about this project, and with you, you can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Comment on our website, wnpr.org slash where we live. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. I will give you this warning. Throughout this hour, we will hear the term that we refer to as the N-word probably repeatedly. We will try to limit its usage. If you are offended by the word or are listening with children who you feel shouldn't hear it, I would urge you to tune away and join us later in the day. We would love to get your thoughts, though, um, on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live throughout the course of this hour if you do choose to listen with us. Frank Harris III is a journalism professor at Southern Connecticut State University. He's a columnist for the Hartford Current, and again, his new documentary project is Journey to the Bottom of the N-Word. Frank Harris, good to talk to you once again. Thanks for joining us on Where We Live. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really uh, happy to be here. So first of all, what prompted you to take on this project? Well, it was really the evolution of another project that I was doing that involved looking at the many names in which Americans of black African descent have been known by over the years. Um, I I teach a class called Race in the News, and about 10, 12 years ago, I had students go and look up different racial elements in old newspapers, and they all came back to me saying, Professor Harris, we kept seeing the word Negro. And I had to kind of tell them, well, Negro used to be a positive word, but they were acting as if it was like the other word, N-word. And, and so they got me thinking about how did these words come about? So I looked at the many different names. There were African, we were Negro, we were black. There was also nigger. There was coon. There was mulatto. There was all these different names. And I decided to focus on the N-word uh, because it was a persistent word, and it, it's, it becomes so popular in culture now that I decided I would 
look at it first from a research point of view to find out when it first appeared in America's newspapers and how it evolved and transitioned over the years. Give us a bit of the the sense of the history of where it comes from and how it deviates from the word Negro that you say your your students saw and, and thought of that as a disparaging term. How How, how is it different and, and how did the usage begin? Well, it began, I mean, it's what I looked at was the first appearance in an American newspaper, which was in 1819. And it was used in a poem. And at the time, uh, most of the words then were not used in such a disparaging tone as they came later to be uh, used as. And so that's where I first saw the word, and I looked at it as it, as basically as it grew over the years, and it became a more, um, the word became really associated with violence and really a demeaning ter- term. It was used in, in a way to make fun of black people. Uh, there was... I've run across so many news stories where it's used, you know, to ridicule blacks and whatever. Uh, But the most interesting part of it was the link to the word with death and kill. I type in a certain number, like kill all niggers or kill niggers. You'll find that phrase repeatedly um, in in the newspapers of the 1800s and even in, in the 1900s. Um, you'll find the word death. There's a phrase, death to all, death to, you'll be dead as a nigger or dead as what have you. And all, so it was this persistence that I kept seeing. And and so I said, wow, I mean, this is, I, I always, I have my own personal experience with the word. I've been called that, at a, I was called that at a very young age with stones being thrown at me. So I, I have some relation uh, or some experience with the word in that context. But it just evolved over the years, and looking at the newspapers, again, newspapers, I feel, reflect society. Um, Society reflects the newspapers. And looking at these newspapers, uh, use newspapers.com. I use the Hartford Current as a reference. Um, The Hartford Current being the oldest um, continuously published newspaper in the country, um, that was my initial reference. And again, the first appearance was not until um, 1819 which I was surprised. I thought it would have been earlier. And I'm not saying it wasn't in books and, and things, but it was not in newspapers until at least the earliest that I found was 1819. We're going to be talking a bit later on in the program with uh, someone who works very closely with the literature of Mark Twain, which is, of course, uh, literature that has brought up this word in popular culture in the past and certainly uh, made us think about the way it's taught in schools. If you want to join us uh, with some of your personal experiences of the N-word, 860-275-7266. You can also email us where we live at wnpr.org. You mentioned your personal experience at a young age. Can you take us through that a little bit a little bit more? Well, um, I don't know. I may have been eight or nine. I was with my brother and two friends at a creek in Illinois. And uh, we, my brother and, and, and a friend were on a raft in a, at a creek there. And all of a sudden, there were these stones flying through the air, landing all around my brother and my friend. And, I, and we looked up, and there were these two white teenagers who were throwing stones at us and yelling the word nigger. And it was the first time I'd been called that. It may have been the first time I'd heard it. Um, I, I, I just know I remember that because I was I felt such terror. I wanted to run. But... I couldn't leave my brother, you know, and I, it was so it's like you want to go one way, but you can't. And so they made it ashore safely, and we wound up 
throwing back at them, and they and they ran off. But it was something that has remained with me. And the interesting thing about it was that I presumed in later years that uh, everyone who was black had been called that at one time, uh, particularly in the South. But part of my re- part of my journey in interviewing people, I found many uh, blacks. Um, in the South who were not ever called that because they were so insulated and segregated that they didn't hear it. So that was surprising to me um, to to know that, uh, you know, people in the Deep South in some cases had never been called that. So so talk more, if you would, about the reactions that you got because you did talk to people all over this country. You talked to some people in Canada as well. You talked to black people and white people, people who were born here and people who weren't born here. And Almost everyone's experience was different, but what are some of the things that stuck out to you? What are some of the the, the experiences that people relayed to you that really uh, you know stuck in your mind? Well, I guess a 100-year-old woman is the oldest person that I interviewed for this. And again, most of the people I, I just walked up to, which was always interesting because you got different reactions. Before I get to the 100-year-old woman, there was a woman in... Atlanta, who I interviewed, I walked up to her. She was white, and her her daughter was uh, biracial. Her husband was black. And when I walked up to her and told her what I was doing, she says, "Oh my lord!" You know. So it was it was kind of an interesting reaction. And but she proceeded to tell me about her experience with the N word and how her daughter, who is now twenty, you know, twenty years old, just a recent graduate. Of, I think she was from Kansas. Um, had been called that, and how her husband, who was black, when before she married him, she wanted to know why black people called each. It was okay for blacks to call each other that, but it was so bad when whites. So, that, so it was that was one of the interesting reactions. But um, I interviewed a 100 year old woman, Annie Lauter, who lives in Hamden, and she's originally from um, Georgia, and she talked about her experience, how she doesn't like. The word nigger. The film actually opens with her comments on not liking the word nigger. And um, she talks about her experience of, of her sister having her eyes shot out with a slingshot by two white guys who had passed by. Um, and about a lynching in which a black man was dragged through the streets and his body burnt on the steps of a Baptist church. So there were those, these type of stories that I, that I heard and there were also the stories from younger blacks about, um, you know, how the word means something different and how it's a word of love with the A. We, again, the film talks about the distinction between the E-R and the A. Um, and one of, one of the things I like to point out in the film is, through my research, I'll show examples, because many people have this myth or this view that it was the rappers and hip-hop artists of, artists of the 80s and 90s who took it and added an A to it and made it a different word. But I show clips from articles from the 1800s and on with the word N-I-G-G-A. So the word has been around. It was in songs. <laughs> it was in uh, literature. It was, it's in, it was in newspapers. So Well, I, and I want to, in a moment, I want to get back to something you said, which is how white people grapple with this, because it's a, it's a fascinating thing to me. But, but, but sticking with what you're talking about right now, as you talk to young people and the way that they use the term, maybe even as a term of love, it's something that's right. in their lyrics, it's something that they they use to call their friends. 
from a from a historical standpoint, from a standpoint of of a scholar, someone who's researched this, I mean, what do you think is at the root of that? I mean, does it have something to do with with this word being attached to the thing that we have all been through together across these many many centuries, or is it just is it just a word that they use because it's in popular culture and they and they gravitate to the word. I mean, do you think it's as deep as, as that first idea? I think people will say something or do something and they'll go back and attach meaning to it afterward. Um, the word is, I mean, the word, for first of all, black people in America have used this word just as about as long as, as whites have. Black people learned the word from their masters, uh, and they repeated the word. Uh, one of the things I, that I learned from interviewing older blacks was that they would, they would call this word, and it was like it was their name. One person said, I thought it was my name. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. Um, back during slavery time, whites used this word as a common reference to refer to Americans of black African descent. And the slaves repeated the word in calling each other and themselves that. So, you know, it... The word has always been around and used by black people to some extent. So it's, it's nothing new that people are using it now, except it's evolved to the point because it's been popularized by the music um, and, and so on. Um, one of the things that I stress in doing this film is that I'm not trying to convert people. I'm basically putting it, I, 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 I say in the film, um, you know, Think of the N-word as a cigarette, and I'm the Surgeon General. This film is your Surgeon General. I'm just putting it out there of the origins of the word, what it's meant, and dispelling some of the myths, and it's up to you know each individual, because they have the First Amendment right to say what they want to say, but it's up to each individual to decide whether they want to start, stop, or never use the word at all. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. When we were talking before the program, too, there are there are words in the English language, and I referenced this in my introduction, like what we call the F word, that I cannot say on the radio because it would bring me an FCC fine. This word, the N word, you, you can say. It, it's not in the same class, but it is certainly something that carries, if, if not uh, more weight, maybe as much weight as anything in the world. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266, as we talk about the evolution of what we call the N word with Frank Harris III. He's a journalism professor, and his new documentary is called Journey to the Bottom of the N word. Before we take a break, I want to Switch back to something you said when you were telling the story of the of the mixed race couple with the young woman who was um, who's called this word. You bring up something that you hear an awful lot from white people. And I know you heard an awful lot from white people during the making of this film, which is. If black people can say it as a term of love, why is it so terrible when I say it? And so that's something I'm sure you heard an awful lot. And I guess I'm just wondering if you can take us through the. Take us through that thought process. Take us through what you think when you hear people say that, because I think an awful lot of people are saying it and not trying to sound offensive. But as you watch the film and you see people say it, you think, oh, my goodness, maybe there's a there's a disconnect there. Well, I mean, one could say if it's if the if the word is terrible, it should be terrible. I mean, I I used to equate it to being if the N word is a bullet and bullet wounds and kills, it doesn't matter who pulls, what color the hand it pulls the trigger. It's still going to be a bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a distinction uh, when whites say it, when non-blacks say it, uh, versus when blacks say it. You know, um, 
you know, and many people say the distinction is that a white person cannot say it without it having that history behind it. Although there were many blacks who said as long as it's not said in a hateful or hurtful manner, that they're comfortable with it. Now, um, so I, my personal feeling is that uh, you know the word is 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 bad when used by anyone. I'm, I'm saying that's my personal experience. When doing these these interviews with different people. It really enabled me to just listen to what their reasoning was. I mean, I heard whites who said they used the word, uh, people who are honest. I, um, I heard Asians say that they used I mean, the, the remarkable thing is that people of many different races and backgrounds used the word. On the other hand, I ran across many who said that they shunned the word um, and that they would not think of using the word. So you know, I, I really can't give a, a, you know, a rationale. I mean, I, I do know. But one of the things that I do say, mm-hmm. that there's, there's a big distinction between um, when blacks use the word and whites use the word in the past and in the present, is that there was never a time when a black person used the word when that person or a group of blacks were lynching other blacks or killing other blacks and using that word. So it gets back to your scholarship about its usage in newspapers and your own personal experience, which is that that it is associated so often with violence. Even though the word itself is not a violent word, it is associated with violence across history in such a way that that it has to go along with violence. A white person says it, that history is imbued in that in that usage. It it, it comes across that way. And if if I could just share one additional experience. Um, in 1967, I was 11 years old, and I went to a, a white school, predominantly white school. They started integrating the town. I was one of like two or three blacks at this elementary school. It was not far from my home. And walking down the street, uh, walking to class, uh, to school, this little white kid, about three or four years old, was playing in front of his yard. He sees me and comes up to me and he's trying to talk, and I'm not understanding what he's saying. And and then he spits on me. And I and and I realized the reason why I couldn't understand what he was saying at first was because he was trying to spit on me and call me nigger at the same time. And he finally got his spit out, and he started calling me the, the name. And you know, I was just shocked by it. And I and I remember thinking, wow, you know, at such a young age that some people are taught this. Now, over the years, I've wondered what became of that young boy. And I used to walk by that his 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 uh, his house, and I dread. That was the you know I had other issues at school, but I used to dread in the morning, and the afternoon, hoping that this kid would not be there. And finally, um, I I was able to resolve it where he didn't bother me anymore. Um, I don't know if you want to hear how I resolved that, <laughs> but but it was one of those things where. You know, the word has, there is a difference um, when it comes from someone who is not black. And that's not to say I'm not offended um, when a, a black person says it, but it, it, there is a difference in, in a sense uh, that has to be acknowledged. And, and, and again, as I yeah. say, I don't, I don't want to, I'd be much better, I'd feel much better if, uh, my fellow African Americans would not use the word uh, in the way that it's used, 
But I'm not saying it should be banned because I think there are instances like when we're talking about the where, yeah. where it, it does need to be used. I, I want to get to some phone calls quickly before our break. Mikel is calling from Springfield. Hi there, Mikel. You're on where we live. Yes, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, the the N word is is perhaps the most vulgar um, word in the English language. Uh, Randall Kennedy uh, wrote a, a book about ten years ago, and he was on the Terry Gross show. And he was saying that the the rappers had defanged the word the N word. Well, I have to, I take issues with that. If um, back then, if the the, the former president. Um, um, Mr. Bush, if he called two of the most powerful African Americans in his administration, Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice, the N word, he would have been ran out of Washington before the sun um, before the sun went down. Um, it is it is uh, it is vulgar. It is it is uh, it has no place. But what one last point I would like to make um, is that. Uh, there's a, uh, a misunderstanding of, of, of the word. My grandparents and my parents uh, told me that was the word that uh, meant to be lynched. Yes. It was a, it was a, pre- a prelude to being lynched, and uh, and and it, it, it is very it is very vulgar and it should be uh, dismissed. Oh, last thing, the NAACP had an event about 10 years ago also and he had a, a, a casket and a mock funeral of, 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 of burying a word, putting a word into the grave. Hmm. Uh, thank you very much. Mikel, thank you very much for your phone call. Unfor- Quick talk, unfortunately, it became like the walking dead. Uh, the N-word just got up and, 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 and you know, so it's, it's still around. I, I, I share, I understand what he's saying. Again, I've heard so many stories um, about lynchings with the, with the word. Um, and as I said, the film basically looks at the word from a lot of different angles, from many perspectives, um, with the research and with the voices of the people from different periods and times and places. We're talking with Frank Harris III. He's a journalism professor at Southern Connecticut State University. He's a columnist for the Hartford Current. And he's produced a new documentary called Journey to the Bottom of the N-Word. That's what we're talking about today, where we live. You can join us right after this break. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Today we're talking with Frank Harris III. He's a journalism professor at SCSU and also a columnist for the Hartford Current. He's been working on a project, and it's called Journey to the Bottom of the N-Word. It's a documentary. He also has a Tumblr site, and we'll put out links on our website, wnpr.org slash where we live. We're looking at some of the history of this very loaded word, what it means in America right now. We're going to share some stories that we've gathered. I do want to give you this warning, of course, because we are talking about this word, we will probably hear it periodically, and I do want to let you know that if you're you're offended by its usage or you're listening with children who you feel shouldn't hear the word, I do urge you to tune away. We do have people, though, who want to join our conversation, including Scott and Wallingford. Hi, Scott. Go ahead. Oh, hi, John. Thanks for taking my call. And, Frank, I'm looking forward to seeing your documentary. Oh, thank you. You know, I have just a moment of a comment. Um, I grew up, I'm a Caucasian male, and I grew up in the late 60s and early 70s in Hamden, and there was Hamden, Connecticut. There was a lot of racial racial strife back then. Um, actually, violence erupted several times in the high school and junior high school. And I personally was also uh, assaulted several times by people of color just because I was a 
a, a Caucasian. Um, so with that being said, I could never understand, um, and I echoed the sentiments of that prior caller with the vul- vulgarity of that the N-word. It's just, um, it's a nasty term. It's There's nothing but, you know, it's just loaded with uh, derogatory intention and hurt and shame and insult. And as a youth growing up in that, in that environment, I could never understand um, the use of that word. Uh, I certainly heard it a lot, and I certainly never used it myself. I stayed away from that violence and kind of st- slunk off into a corner when things were erupting. Mm. Um, and I, my comment also is that I could never understand when people of color would, would flaunt that word and call each other the N-word, and, and as if that was like some kind of a a password to being cool or something. So. Well, well, Scott, thank you very much for your phone call. And it, it gets back to, I think we touched on this a little bit, Frank, but I, I, I do want to talk about this again because a, a, a yeah. big part of the conversation, I think, that we've been having about race in America in, over the course of the last couple of years um, comes back to a notion that many white people look at various issues having to do with race and they say, I think I know what someone else should do or how someone else should react. And it's coming from, I think, a place of of thoughtfulness, probably even a place in many cases of love. But it it betrays the sort of, a, 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 for lack of a better word, an ignorance of what it might be like to be a black person in America today. And so to say, why do black people use the N-word when it's so derogatory as a white person, I feel this is me personally talking. I feel it's hard for me to make a statement saying that I, anybody should or shouldn't use any word. I, I don't know how you might use it. Well, you know, it's <laughs> I funny. shouldn't tell you how to use it. It's funny because I, I remember when I was a kid, I asked my mom. My mom, my parents are from Mississippi, um, and I was born and raised in Illinois. And I remember asking her, "Well, why do we use it?" And she said, "Because you don't know any better." All right. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, it is, I have to acknowledge when I was a teen that I once used the word. You know, it was, um, at that time, it was something that you didn't say around white people if you did use it. Um, but I, as, as I would say, I once was blind, but now I see, you know, when I got to be my early, early 20s, I just said, you know, it doesn't make any sense why, you know, I've had bad experiences with it. Um, why would I use the word to call another black person or have someone call me that, even in a feeling of love or, um, you know, or, or just friendship? So, I mean, the only thing, there are many groups who refer to themselves by derogatory names sometimes, um, you know, and it doesn't make it right. I would like for it to end. I certainly don't use the word except in in, in speaking about this topic or, or referencing something that someone else said. Uh, my children don't use the word. I don't allow it in my house. <laughs> you know, so, well, well, let me get to a comment from Tom in New Haven, who who is, I think, on this subject. Tom, go ahead. Hi, Frank. I enjoy your articles, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I think this abbreviation, the use of it, is a disservice to the black community. It's a hate word. It's an ugly word. It connotes violence, and it's most often used in a disparaging sense. You know, when we hear the word, uh, it's usually the abbreviation. It's usually uh, something in the newspaper, and he pulled out a gun, called him the N-word, and shot him. Why do we hide the ugly? Why cover up the reality of prejudice? Uh, there are other ethnic groups that have been the recipient of what have become offensive slurs. 
you know, they don't have abbreviations. Imagine how many abbreviations we'd have. I mean, what's next? An H word for the Holocaust or an abbreviation for Jewish or Spanish slurs? Uh, I think it is a disservice, and it, and it um, it's more uh, keeps the uh, problem, the uh, racial issues, more separate. Well, hey, Tom, Tom, first of all, you make yeah, a really good yeah. point, and it gets to something in the journalism world we, world we talked yes. about too, Frank, is which is we are both advocates for for speech and for saying what we mean and clarity of language, right? And and Tom makes a point of like, right, if we cover up that word in its usage in the newspaper, I mean, what does that what does that say? Well, this it's interesting because uh, that I, I addressed that in the film as well, um, and I I actually did a couple things. I I did a survey of American news media newspapers. TV stations, radio stations across the country about their policy with regards to using the N-word, um, and I'm saying it here, um, and also what words do they use to substitute if they use. And N-word was the most common word that newspapers use. Um, TV would either use the, the dashes uh, or what have you. But I interviewed um, invest, an investigative reporter at the uh, Jackson Clarion Ledger last September, Jerry Mitchell. Um, he's white. Uh, he, his work basically helped to put Byron Dale Beckwith in, in jail after the, the murder of Medgar Evers. But I asked him about the, the newspaper's policy, and he said even with that story, their policy is not to use the actual word. Now, we had a discussion, and he kind of agreed that sometimes you have to use the word. I interviewed Charlene Hunter God, um, who interviewed the, who integrated the University of Georgia in 1962. And she's a journalist, a renowned journalist. And she was saying that when she goes and talks to people around the country about her experiences, she can't say, I call, they called me N-word, they called me nigger. I'm quoting her. Um, and so sometimes you have to use the word. So I've had some, some battles or skirmishes sometimes with the current, with the Chicago Tribune at, uh, at times about my using the word in my column. I'm, I'm not using it uh, just for the sake, uh, sake of using it. I'm using it because I'm referring to what someone said or what have you. And, you know, so it's interesting that news media have basically gone completely the opposite of what they were back in the past. In the past, you had the word repeatedly in the news media. Um, and I'm happy that they're conscious enough to um, not use the word in the way that it used to be used. So, um, so I really think that, um, you know, my feeling is that it should not be used, you know, just uh, on a whim, but I think that there are times when it needs to, you need to use the word. I, I, I want to play a, a piece of tape for you, and I'd love to get your reaction. A, a few months ago, I had a, a panel discussion that I moderated at Connecticut College, and, and one of the panelists was the UConn professor and uh, New Yorker writer Jelani Cobb. We were talking about free speech on college campuses, and he told us a story about his experience with the N-word. I tell uh, this story to students as a bit of hard-won wisdom in my own life. The first time I was ever called nigger was when I was 13 years old. I was shocked. It was like this thing that my parents told me, then all of a sudden it happened. And it was like, wow, they were telling the truth. Like, this thing exists in the world. Um, the second time I was called nigger, uh, interestingly enough, I've been called uh, three times in my life, always by passing cars, people in cars passing. Um, I don't know what that's about. Um, but the second time, uh, the second time, uh, I was in my 20s and I was enraged. And the third time that this happened, I burst out laughing. And the reason was I thought it was absurd that someone actually thought that they could diminish me 
It was like that word existed during slavery, but black people survived slavery. That word existed in the post-Reconstruction period, but black people survived the post-Reconstruction period. People used that word as a means to bolster Jim Crow, but Jim Crow was killed. And that in each instance in which people have attempted to dehumanize and to use this word as a stand-in for a broader socioeconomic state of affairs, people have found the reserve and the will and the ingenuity and the creativity and the spiritual fortitude to forge a way forward. And so I understood that I had the wind at my back, and this was a kind of weak last gasp of a dying sentiment. But it takes a long time to get to that place. I'm less interested in policing other people's speech than I am in building stronger people who are not as easily derailed by the attempts to kind of keep you in a marginal position. And that's UConn Professor Jelani Cobb speaking in a panel uh, discussion about race that I, I moderated a couple months ago. I'd love to get your thoughts, Frank. And, and one of the things that we talked with Jelani about, he, he was addressing college students, and it, it had to do with what we can and can't say in a college campus, which is, of course, a big issue on all college campuses right now. And his story at, at the time was really illustrating something that, you know, a very young man hears the word and he gets angry. Um, or he doesn't understand it. And a slightly older man hears the word, he gets very angry. And then an older man, a man with some experience, laughs it off. In some ways, that's a story about Jelani Cobb. I mean, do you think that's sort of a story about the usage of the term over time? That I mean, he's making the case that, that African-Americans have overcome so much that that now the attempt to use it is, it should be seen as a joke. It's a He calls it a last, last gasp of just sort of a dying thing that, that he hopes will end in his lifetime. Well, see, here's, the, here's what I've learned, um, again, going to my research. I'm not saying research is everything, but um, there were abolitionists in the 1850s, I believe, who's, who were trying to tell blacks that you can take this word. It's no longer, again, in the 1850s, that this word is no longer a hurtful word anymore. You can take it and use it against, and they were wrong, okay? (laughs) The word persisted. It's still there. Um, I think sometimes you get used to being hit over the head that you become numb to what's happening. And I don't want to speak to um, his experience, uh, but, you know, I, I haven't been called the word in a long time, which I'm thankful to say. I'm not sure how I would react now. Um, I know that at one point I would have been ready to fight. I At this point, I probably would not be unless it, it would depend upon the circumstance if someone is also trying to harm me while while doing it. So, I mean, I, I think the word is, it's it's evolved over the years, but I cannot say that just with the passage of time that the word, you know, it, it has no effect. Look at the climate in which we are in today. We've got Donald Trump uh, running for president, and he's you know, saying what he wants to say and, and lamenting political correctness. I just see the atmosphere as being the case where uh, you know, people want to be able, making America great again, maybe with, so people can have a column in the Hartford Current where I address this today. Um, people want to be able to call people what they used to call them without repercussions. Um, so... You know, I I don't see the word as necessarily trending out or trending downward. I see the climate in which it is now. And uh, and let me just add this again. Many young people of of black African descent have not been called this name by a white person before um, and have not experienced it. And uh, the way things are going, that may change. 
Uh, I want to get to a, a phone call from uh, Kennard is calling from Hartford. Kennard, uh, I, I know who you are. You, is this Kennard Ray? It, it is. It hey, is. How you doing, John? Do, doing well. What's on your mind, Kennard? Well, so, so sure. I, I think um, the the strength and the power of the word is really what we should be talking about. Um, and the fact that the strength and power has been repurposed today politically in the same way that it was, you know, the sword was pointed uh, towards black Americans at one time. It's now black Americans holding that sword. Uh, and, and pointing it in a different direction. So um, with all respect to, to Professor Simpson um, uh, and, and his point of view, I think this is a generational conversation, um, as, as we heard from Jelani Cobb. I think, you know, over time, um, I don't think it's been blunted. I, I just think the, the weapon is now in the, in, in the hand of a different group. Uh, and I, I agree that, uh, you know, the, the word um, is powerful, it's vulgar, uh, there's a lot of strength to it. But I, I and I also agree that, that most uh, blacks of African descent have not been called the word in, 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 in this lifetime at, at this, you know, at least in my generation. But I do think if, um, as we enter in, in, into uh, uh, an era of, of a possible President Trump, and folks wanting to make America great again, uh, I do think if the word could be used or would be used against folks in this day, it would be uh, completely – it would be different. It, there would be a different reaction, a different action. The weapon is in a different hand. So hey, well, hey, we, well, I just have to ask you – I'm up against a break, but i got to ask you this question. What do you think the power in the word is in the uses that you're talking about? Where, where does the power lie? Yeah, I, I think the the power, all this loaded power, comes from a, a it was from a long history of hate, um, but now I think it's uh, kind of a power of pride. I think Black Americans now understand it's our word. It was used against us, and we can use it against you, or we can use it amongst ourselves in any way that we choose to. But it's ours. We it, it's almost like we earned it. Well, well, okay, and, and I'm, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Kennard, thank you very much for your phone call and your thoughts. Very quickly, Professor, if you would. Um, I'm sorry. I, I I don't think I've earned this word. I don't want to earn the word. It's not. There are many other things that I would like to have taken away from the hardships of the trials and tribulations that Americans of black African descent have gone through in this country than to say that I have the right to call myself and other black people and anybody else a nigger or a nigger. I just... I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, Frank Harris III is a journalism professor at Southern Connecticut State University. When we come back, James Golden will join the conversation, director of education at the Mark Twain House and Museum. There's been news recently about how this word is used in the classroom. It's something that the Twain House has been grappling with for years. We are also going to hear a poem about this word from a local student here in Hartford. You can join the conversation coming up where we live right after this. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to rebroadcast a program that we found really fascinating, making some connections between Connecticut and West Africa. Reporter Ebong Odama is starting a news service in Nigeria. We're also going to be talking with a Nigerian-American author. And 
Banning Air from Afropop Worldwide, who's also based in Connecticut, will share some vibrant musical sounds from Legos. That's tomorrow on the show. Today we're talking with Frank Harris. He's a journalism professor at SCSU, and his new documentary is called Journey to the Bottom of the N-Word. There's been a lot of news about this recently. We wanted to bring in James Golden, director of education at the Mark Twain House and Museum, who's just down the street from us. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Um, recent news coming out of South Windsor, Connecticut. Some parents upset that their kids are being taught a book that had the N-word with no prior warning to parents. Uh, this is a historical text, but it has uh, this word, which we're calling the N-word, uh, repeatedly. This is something you've had to grapple with a lot in the writings of Mark Twain. Talk about how you and your colleagues there have thought about this, about how to present Twain and other uh, work from that period in context, but in a way that is not offensive to people. Uh, thanks. It's it's a challenge. We bring a lot of our own assumptions and ideas about what words mean and who can say them and what they hear. And what the natural instinct is to say, well, people spoke that way at the time and it doesn't have the same meaning. But I think it does a tremendous disservice to uh, somebody like Twain who worked through his own inherited racism. He knew what he was doing when he used that word. He used it deliberately later in his life to accurately portray a racist society. So if we say, oh, that's just how they spoke, and we don't look at it as part of a process of somebody working through the culture with which they grew up, then we're sort of denying his own ability to change. So so obviously the, the sanitized versions that we've we've seen in recent years where that word is replaced by, say, the word slave is not something that you think is either historically accurate or actually reflects what is supposed to be reflected. Exactly. Nor is it actually very useful. One of the most important parts of Huckleberry Finn is when a free African-American comes down from Ohio and is better educated than Huck Finn's father, can speak multiple languages, is a professor at a university, and uh, Pap, Huck's father, goes on a gigantic rant about how unjust this is, and if he was sober enough to vote, he would vote against this kind of thing. And if you replace the N-word with slave, you now have the bizarre discussion of a free slave from Ohio, which makes absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. We we got a tweet from Colin Burke uh, who says, in school we were reading Twain in class, reading aloud, and I sat there thinking how I would say, no, I'm not reading this aloud. Looking back on that, I'm amazed that it was done, the reading aloud part. I wasn't called on, so I didn't get to say no. That's a, that's a struggle, right, the reading aloud part. I mean, you, you are essentially forced to not just grapple with it in text, which is one thing, mm-hmm. but saying it aloud is something that for both black people and white people you may have very strong feelings about. That's very difficult. It's incredibly difficult, and we do a very interesting program uh, each summer, we get a group of sophomores from Capital Prep, which is a, a north end of Hartford magnet school, and we read Huckleberry Finn in a deep historical context. These students tend to be students of color. They're not used to encountering uh, books like this with this word repeated over and over again, rather like in South Windsor encountering the oral histories of people who'd been enslaved, and this word just appears naturally. And so when we read passages aloud, which is really important to understanding the dialect in the book, and the students read it, they would use the word, and I, I just couldn't. Just a, as, a, as a white person, I did not feel it's a word I, I get to say, I want to say. Even if I wanted to say, I didn't get to say it. It's just not part of who I am. And that's problematic if you're trying to teach dialect and you're trying to teach accurate use of the word. Uh, Frank? Uh, I, I, you know, it's interesting because I, I think, I mean, I've had white teachers say, how do they address the N-word? Mm. And they will make exceptions for... Black students saying the word, but will not will not make those exceptions for whites. I just think that I mean again, 
I understand the difference between someone saying the word in a hurtful way or they're singing it or whatever versus someone who's teaching it mm. or, or, or teaching it, whatever. And I, I really think that, you know, I just, I just think that it has to be some understanding that as an instructor, whether you're white or you're black or whatever, you have a right to use that word because you're trying to advance the education of it. Certainly, certainly. It it wasn't a policy we created. It's something actually very interestingly that happened organically in the class. Who felt comfortable having ownership of the word? And I went into reading text fully intending to give the dialect its full space and just couldn't emotionally myself. And that's not to my advantage, but it's just an interesting moment. Well, I, I, again, as it, it can be very difficult, particularly if you're a black in a primarily white environment, to hear that word and to hear it in a text and, and, and what have you. So I understand that that portion of it. On the, but that being said, I don't think that you know sanitizing the word from the text would be the accurate thing to do. That is the reality of what was said, and I think it's important that people can look back and know what was actually said. And it is, but it is uncomfortable to be doing that in, in, in a reading, particularly without some advance notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I will give you both and, and our listeners advance notice. We're going to hear now from a student, uh, a young woman named Madison Frame. Madison is a student at the Journalism and Media Academy. Uh, it's a Hartford-based school, and she uh, studies right here in our building. Um, she's joined us on the air before, and she wrote a poem which she called N. Let's listen. To sell records, it seems all you got to do is say the word nigga enough times to get your message across. As if the word nigga has more meaning than the word love. Why must we depend on the N-word to fill up the empty space when we run out of words? Sometimes silence is good for songs. It says far more than use the word nigga wrong. Rappers think they got rhymes when they say nigga in every line and use it in a different context each time. And they say spitting lines about that girl last night like we know you haven't had a girl in months. Educated scholars putting on the front trying to make a quick buck for tuition. As if the only thing my generation can be known for is talented. I feel like I'm the only one that's tired of this. I want to hear a song that can talk about a girl's body without setting a stereotype. I can see beauty in everything besides just a waist size. I want to hear a song about how lucky you are to be alive. Not how you gotta hustle hard just to thrive. I want to hear a song that doesn't use the word nigga wrong. Like, I understand the N-word is louder than a bomb, but it doesn't mean you have to use it as often as one. I guess we've forgotten the times the N-word wasn't used in rap because we realized how offensive it was to the craft, but now using the word nigga is the only thing that puts you on a track. Can we please bring the original definition of MC back to the media's attention? I I need a song that can talk about love without using the word nigga to get their message across because the word nigga isn't the only thing louder than a bomb. It seems the only time nigga isn't used in a rhyme is when a rapper has something meaningful to... Never mind. It seems I can't even go without saying the word nigga. To get my message through about using the word nigga, soon every language will have a form of the word nigga. That's when the phrase, my nigga, will be said more often than my love. People are beginning to use the word nigga as if it's a gun. We call men niggas in replacement of the word son. Like, how have we gotten where the word nigga comes from? Meant to describe us as kings and queens, redefine just to break down our dreams, re-redefine to build our self-esteem, but when looked up still references back to black. Never changes, never will, never has. The word nigga is offensive no matter how many times you try to rephrase it. No matter how many times the ways you replay it, the word nigga has an effect that is never without consequence. Like from my understanding, it means lazy and ignorant. So when someone says black is his definition, 
I get all bothered inside. Like, your memory seems suspicious. You're basically saying that black correlates with ignorance. When I use the word nigga to get my message across, I will be sure to never use it wrong. Because I know far more words other than nigga that are louder than a bomb. That's a poem called N by Madison Frame. She's a journalism and media academy student. Um, as we close out our program, uh, Frank, a, a quick thought about what you just heard from Madison? Well, I, I would. It's, it's funny. Um, I, I was thinking she needs to listen to the old school soul music, you know, Motown and, 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 and so forth. But I understand what she's saying. And, and you know, the hip hop and rap artists are the ones who really help to move this word along um, and it's unfortunate that that's the reality. I'm hoping that um, the film that I, you know, produce will hopefully add to the conversation and, and give people some pause to think about what they say. Do you have a quick thought, James? Uh, I have the interesting experience of being a white person called that word. When I was in a student in Edinburgh, Scotland, a Anglo-Turkish man thought this was great rap slang to use with his new-made American friends. And we went, this is crazy. You can't say that. So it's it's interesting, the international resonance of this as well. One of the things uh, that uh, uh, Frank Harris makes clear in his film and some of the associated documentation is is that there's um, there's other words that you can use when you refer to to people who who you love. And you talk about uh, using the word my brother to to refer to uh, my brother and my sister to refer to my sister. And it gets back to something as we close out the program about the conversation about political correctness that's happening in America right now. I think some people talk about political correctness um, as as an evil because they want to be able to say whatever they can say. Mm -hmm. And and I think what you're trying to get across is maybe we can use terms that just aren't so loaded. Maybe we can use terms that help people understand a little bit better. Terms with a little bit more love behind them probably are going to be better for us all moving forward. Um, We'll have to leave it there. It's a great conversation. Frank Harris III, thank you so much. Thank you. Frank Harris III, he's a journalism professor at Southern Connecticut State University and a current columnist. Journey to the Bottom of the N-Word is his documentary, thanks to James Golden from the Mark Twain House and Museum. I'm John Dankosky. Continue this conversation at wnpr.org slash where we live.